again. Let us start by praying. Father, we come to you again today, and we just want to be thankful to you, Lord, and we are awestruck by the power of your name. And Lord, we know that you are uncontainable, and we know that nothing can hold you, Lord, for you are above all things. And we know, Lord, that you always have our best interest in mind. We know that you love us with an everlasting love, one that never ends. And I love what Joseph Decott said where our name is written in your hand. Because, Lord, you love each one of us. And even in our suffering and our temptations and trials of life, you are there and we're thankful. And Father, as we move forward with the service and, and the sermon, Lord, we just ask that you speak to each one of us, that you equip us, and that you give us something to take home, Lord, that would be encouraging to us and helpful to us in some way. Father, whether that's something impersonal in our life, or maybe you'll have us be an example to someone else, or whether it be that you want to teach us something that we need to apply to our own lives, Lord. We just ask that our ears are open to you and that our hearts are open to your spirit. And Lord, that we'd put our selfish desires and our selfish ways aside. And we ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Sorry about that. I didn't mean that to happen. <laughs> but I, I, I'm amazed at how God orchestrates things because... This service today has started with difficulties, and it started with trials. We had trouble with the sound system, and we had troubles getting things started. And, and, and then we hear of uh, a family suffering with, uh, with uh, their mother, grandmother, and, and spouse, and, and how God is working in that situation, and, and how God wants each one of us to know that no matter what in our lives, He is with us. And, it was, and the reason this is amazing to me is because as I was thinking throughout the week what uh, to share with you guys today and asking the Spirit of God to lead me, and me and Jen even had a conversation, uh, the subject of trials and temptation came up. And so I started to uh, prepare in, in, in that direction. And we know that we all experience trials in this world. We experience temptations. And the real thing that I would like to talk about today, really, and, and examine each one of our own hearts, is how do we respond when these trials interrupt our lives? Or when temptation overwhelms us and we feel like there's no escape? How do we respond to that? Do we get angry or frustrated? Do we try to escape them quickly by putting quick fixes on them and band-aids? Do we just give in and go with the flow, then deal with the fallout later? Do we just give up and have pity on ourselves? Or do we complain to others around us in total despair? 
And I know that a complaining thing really doesn't do much good because most people, as soon as you start complaining, they turn their ears off. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, so it could be a frustrating thing if that's the way you're trying to deal with your suffering and pain is to complain to others because you get frustrated when you feel like they're not even paying attention to you or listening. How does God want us to respond when we face trials in our life? How does he want us to cope with these challenging circumstances as they arise? And it's really interesting because the, it really seems like the theme of this service has already been uh, dealing with trials and, and, uh, and, I, and I really appreciated Pastor Oren's comments and uh, how James chapter 1 and verse 2 uh, has uh, moved him and ministered to him this morning because we're going to go to the book of James today and we actually are going to start in verse 2. And again, we know that we are going to experience trials in our lives. We know that we are going to be tempted. We live in a body that is sinful and it has sinful desires. So to avoid temptation is almost uh, laughable because it's not going to be possible that we avoid the temptation, but really how we deal with those temptations when they come our way is what is important. And we know through our trials and temptations we will make choices that will not only affect us ourselves, but very possibly could affect others around us, our loved ones, our friends, our uh, co-workers. We don't know who that's going to affect. And in that light, we should always be cautious when we're going through these times and how we respond to them. But, you know, we all have hope in the midst of the storms that we experience in life. And there is always escape when we're facing temptation. So let us look at James, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault? And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Really doesn't make sense for us to doubt when we're asking God for help, does it? We're already saying when we doubt and we're asking God, God, will you help me? We're already saying to him, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I don't think that you can accomplish these things in my life. I don't think you can help me overcome this temptation I'm experiencing. I don't think you're going to be able to help me get through these trials and tribulations in my life. When we have doubt, that's what we're telling God. That's like when we go and uh, we... Uh, we are struggling with something and, and it's so intense and, and, I, and, and, and we go and we bow before God and we say, Lord, I need your help. Will you please help me? And even in the things that happen in our life and he might bring somebody some, uh, near us to comfort us during a trial. And we blow that off and then somebody else might come up and give us a word of encouragement and we might not even think, hey, God's already at work here. And then we go back to God later and we're praying to him, Lord, I ask you for help. Why aren't you helping me? 
I just don't understand. Where are you at, God? And he's already met you two or three other times through the body of Christ to lift you up, to minister you, and to give you encouragement and know that you can depend on him. And he wants you to know that there are going to be experiences that when you're experiencing these trials, he's going to be right there with you. So we really do not want to have doubt because the Bible tells us that if we have doubt that we're a double-minded person and that we are unstable in all that we do. Wow, that's heavy. (laughs) If we doubt, we are unstable in all that we do. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. Man, God looks at things in a completely different light than we do, doesn't he? Because we see someone who has riches and has money as being in a prominent position in life and and holding authority and power. And Jesus tells us, or the Bible teaching us right here, that those who are living in humble circumstances are those, those are the ones who should take pride in their high position in life. Wow. It's like he's preparing us that when we are going through trials and when we're going through difficulties and we feel that we're in those low circumstances, that we should look with pride to God for our high position that we have with him. Because God does not allow us to experience trials and difficulties without him being present with us. And who more would you want with you than our triune God when you're going through trials and difficulties? Who would you want to face these troubles with? Because God wants to be very intimate with us. He wants to be very involved in our lives. And that's what He wants. He wants us to seek Him, to look for Him. And many times that's the only time that we come to God, isn't it? Is when we're going through trials, when we're going through difficulties. So we should not be surprised that God lets us experience trials and difficulties and temptation frequently in our lives. He's calling us to Him. He's allowing us to experience these things. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms and falls, and its beauty is destroyed. And in the same way, the rich man will fade away, even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those he loves. Wow. When we're experiencing trials, and we have our everlasting Father walking through those trials with us and experiencing that journey with us. And we know that at the end of our lifetime and we go before God, that we get to have that crown placed on our head and we get to spend eternity with Him. And He has a mission for us. And it doesn't just stop on this earth. When we die and we're in the presence of God, we will be worshiping Him and praising Him. Absolutely. But we will have jobs to do and work. We are not going to just be uh, like a flower blowing around in the wind and standing still and accomplishing nothing. We are made in the image of God. God is a creator. 
and me and Dan Daniels were talking a little bit ago just before service today. It's amazing how God has made us. He made us in his image. And what do we like to do in life? We like to create things. We like to accomplish things. We have goals. We like to head towards a goal. We like to see it come to completion, don't we? What other creature in this whole world do you see that likes to do those things or, or is able to be creative or have a mind that can design something? It's like the cities and stuff. And Dan, I'm taking some of your uh, literature today. Like these cities that are around the world and the airplanes in the sky and the buses and all the cars. That didn't just all happen. It came from creative minds. It came from a desire to want to accomplish thing, something or to do something or to make life easier, whatever it might be, whatever the purpose was for those things. And God is working the same way in us. He's being creative, using our trials to cause, cause us to have a perseverance built within our lives. He's using those trials for a purpose that we may not understand today, but he is creating something in us. In the same way that we go out and create, God is creating something in each one of us. So do not ever despair when you're going through trials and troubles in your life. They may be hard. How are we going to respond to those? What about when we're tempted? Are we going to say, God tempted me? God doesn't tempt anybody, does he? And right here in the scripture, it says God doesn't tempt anyone. But it's because of our own evil desires that we're tempted. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. So don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God never changes. We can count on that. That is the one thing that we all should be happy about. I could tell you as a dad, I've changed like the wind. This is the rule today. Well, I think I'll loosen up on that rule, and this is the rule tomorrow. I think I'll loosen up a little bit more. Okay, this is the rule. We're constantly changing our standards, aren't we? We're always changing things. As human beings, we make adjustments to where we think that it suits us in our lives. But the one thing we know is God is unchanging. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We can count on him. He is not going to change. His standards remain. The things that he wants from us hasn't changed from yesterday or a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to look for him. He wants us to draw close to him. So we can count on our God. We know that we can depend on him. He will always be there for us. He is steadfast. It's like that lighthouse that never moves in a storm. You know, you keep your eye on the lighthouse, you're okay. Let's never get our eyes off our lighthouse. Jesus Christ is our rock. He is our salvation. He will bring us through our storms in life. And we can count on that. As we examine James and we look in, I'm just going to look in verse 2 for a little bit here. 
God tells us through Paul to, or I'm sorry, through James, I'm sorry. He tells us to consider it all joy when we go through trials. Consider it all joy. It's amazing how we can tend to want to pour pity upon ourselves or want to say, why me? Why is this happening to me again? What is going on here? I just got out of this trial over here and now I'm facing this one. And I remember not too long ago, my wife was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer, right? And she got through a storm. God brought her through that storm. She overcame colon cancer. And it was through the grace and love of God that she went through that storm and she, and she was cancer free. It was a very short time later she finds out she has breast cancer. She very easily could have said, why me? And maybe she did. Because we do tend to want to be self-focused instead of looking out and saying, why are you allowing this to happen, God? What are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to see? Who am I, who, is there somebody that is going to be reached for God because of the trials I'm going through? Joy is the consistent mark of the individual Christian as well as the mark of the church. Joy is a quality, not simply an emotion. It is grounded upon God himself. In fact, it is derived from him. The joy that we experience in life as Christians in the midst of deep trials, that comes from God. We don't manifest that on our own. But we're, we're asked by God to consider our trials as joy. He wants our will involved with the work that he's doing. He wants our will to be involved in that joy. And if we choose not to be joyous, it's not going to take away the trial that we're going through, is it? We're still going to face that trial. It isn't going to cause it to go away. It isn't going to change your circumstances. It isn't going to make things all better. And I like what the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible states. There is joy that the scripture commands. And that joy is action that can be engaged, engaged in regardless of how the person feels. Proverbs 5.18 tells the readers to rejoice in the wife of his youth without reference to what she may be like. Christ instructed disciples to rejoice when they were persecuted, reviled, and slandered. Bible doesn't say, hey, rejoice, be happy with the wife of your youth. And when you marry her and you find out, well, this isn't who I thought I married. She is way different. Man, she is mean. She's attacking me all the time. She's doing this. She's doing that. Or... He wants us to equally rejoice when we have a wife who is like there to help us, to serve, to be there, to participate in the family. And, and, so, and, and, and that's not just our wives, that's for wives, that's husbands also. Regardless of how our spouse, spouses act, God wants us to rejoice that we have them. Because God gave us our spouse. We participated in that act, certainly. 
But God is the one that brought the two of us together. It wasn't anybody else. That's why God tells us in the Bible, do not separate yourselves, do not divide what God has put together. We think that it was us, but really, it was God working through us that brought us together. And he puts us with somebody who is good for us, usually. And sometimes when we puts us with somebody and we're like, well, this person isn't good for me. How is that possible? Here's all the things that they do wrong. Maybe God's trying to teach you something through that person. Maybe he's trying to teach you patience and perseverance and love. The kind of joy, this kind of joy that we can have in the face of trials is given to us by God, but it does require our participation. So God wants us to consider the various trials we face in life with joy. But why? Why does he want us to face them with joy? Well, James 1.3 tells us why, doesn't it? It teaches that these trials test our faith and we, we will develop perseverance because of these trials. That's why he wants us to be joyous. Because he knows that we're going to learn to persevere. The Christian faith is not a passive faith where you just, okay, I'm saved, now I'm just going to kick back on the couch, watch some TV, and not worry about life. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith has trials, it has temptation, it has struggles, there are difficulties. Jesus said, I faced struggles in my life, and you're not going to be better than your master. You're going to face trials as well. Remember Job? whole book of Job was one big trial, wasn't it? God allowed Satan to test him. He lost a lot of his possessions. Family members died. His friends turned their backs on him. Even his wife told him to curse God and die. But Job remained faithful and he was rewarded for it, wasn't he? He was given far more than he ever lost. Still today, Job is a witness to the benefit of remaining faithful to God, even in the midst of great persecution and temptation to give up. Even when he despaired, he remained faithful to God. Let us go to Peter, 1 Peter, starting in verse 12. 1 Peter, chapter 4, and verse 12. <clears throat> Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that, you're, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Jesus said that whoever is persecuted for righteousness sake is blessed and theirs will be the kingdom of God and our reward will be great. <clears throat> 
God wants us, and in the next verse we're going to be looking at is James chapter 2 and verse 14. But God wants us to understand that we face trials, and during those trials, that He is with us. And the trials that we experience are not trials that we have put on ourselves. These are trials that God has allowed us to experience to grow closer to Him. Yes, the trials because we got ourselves into trouble and, or uh, committed sin or whatever, we will face trial there. But those are ours. We brought that upon ourselves. It wasn't God that brought that upon us. God did not tell us to break His rules or to, to do things our way and to turn our backs on Him. Of course there are going to be consequences for our actions. But the thing that we want to remember is the trials that he's talking about are trials like you have a family member who is sick or you got sick or you're being persecuted because of something you believe or maybe you just lost your job because you shared the, your faith with someone. There are so many things that we face in life that God wants us to know that he is building perseverance in us. So, 1 Peter, I'm sorry, James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Whenever we face trials, we will feel stress and pressure. That's not the verse there, it's my note. We will feel stress and pressure, and that is expected. But we Christians will experience a genuine joy. We do not merely put on our best face and try to look on the bright side when trouble comes. We should experience joy that comes from only our Father in heaven. We serve a God who is very active in our lives, who works through us. We demonstrate our faith in Him by participating in the faith that He has given us. Faith and deeds work together. And again, you've heard me say this already today, Christianity is not a passive way of life. It is not a passive belief system. We are called to action. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? If we see somebody in need and we don't actively participate in providing for that need, what good is our faith? And what good is it to that person that we could help if we just say, okay, well, be on your way. I know you have this need. I know you're hungry, but uh, good luck on that. That isn't the thing that God wants us to see. God wants us to participate. Let's go to our cupboard and see what we have. Maybe someone needs a car. What do we do? Do we just sit there and ignore the fact that somebody needs a car? Maybe we have a spare car that we're not using. Or maybe we know somebody that has one. Maybe we actively get involved in trying to find a car for that person. It doesn't matter what it is in our lives. God has given us the ability and He wants us to participate in the work that He is doing in the world. When we're assisting other people and helping them find, uh, th uh, meet the needs that they have. Are we working on God's behalf? Are we doing the work God wants us to do when we see somebody in need and we say, yes, let me help you out? 
it may even cause us trouble or struggles or difficulty because, man, I was counting on that money to get me through the rest of the month, or, man, I only have enough food myself to last a couple more days, and if I give them half my food, I've got to find something to eat myself in a week, in a, in a day. Or do we look and say, you know what? What I have is plenty. I'm going to share it. I remember the woman in the Old Testament who was helping, I can't remember which, uh, which prophet she was helping, but she was helping a prophet. And she was sharing her food and her uh, things with this prophet. And what happened every day when she went to get whatever it was, that oil or grain or whatever it was, it didn't go away, did it? It just kept multiplying itself. It was always there. There was always just enough. Do we really think that God will not help us when we're helping others? Do we trust him enough? You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac to the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. And we really have to grasp faith. I know Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. We know that the Bible teaches us that we are to have faith and trust in God and depend on Him. But faith requires action. Again, I'm going to use my wife as an example. If the doctor told her she had cancer... And he says, I have a way to get rid of that cancer from your body. I can eradicate that cancer from your body. But she never asked the doctor what she has to do. She never went back to the doctor again. But she went home and she says, well, I have faith that the doctor could heal me. And then she doesn't go back to the doctor. How is that faith going to work out for her? See, she has to go and do the work. She has to find out, okay, what do I have to do? Where do I have to be? What do I have to do on my behalf so the doctor can do the things that he needs to do? I have to show up for surgery. I have to do these preparatory things. Faith without works is nothing. That's not really faith. If work isn't involved, there's no faith there. Even the devil believed in Jesus and believes in God. But they walk away in fear and trembling. Faith requires something from us. Let us take a moment now and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. And as we journey with Christ, we will be tried and we will go through the refining fire and it will make us more like Him. Because God is not going to cause us to have to go through something and not have a way for us to um, draw near to Him. And that's why He tells us to trust in Him and to depend on Him and to lean on Him. In 1 Corinthians verse 
chapter 9, verse 24 says, do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What does running require from you? It requires endurance, doesn't it? Anybody here that's ever ran a marathon knows you don't just wake up today and go to the race and run a marathon. It doesn't happen that way. It requires training. It requires effort. It requires diligence. It requires you pushing yourself further than you ever thought you could go before. And when you feel the pain, don't quit. You never quit. You just keep going and keep going and keep going. That endurance is built as you are training. That endurance is built as you struggle and push on and push on. And in the same way, when we're going through trials in our lives, God is using those trials to build endurance with, for us. And when we face those trials, we are going to be more likely because of all the training God has brought us through to push on and to push on and to push on and never give up. In the face of trials, there's never a reason to give up. We serve an everlasting God who loves us, who wants us to see that He is right there with us in the midst of our trials. He never gives up on us. He loves us. And the perseverance that we gain from our trials is going to be something that benefits us in an everlasting way. Because see, the perseverance that we're building up is not a perseverance that's just for this lifetime. It's to refine us and to bring us into perfection before the Lord Jesus Christ himself. See, this life here is a journey that we take to grow closer to God, to become more like him. And God uses our trials and our, tempt and our temptations. He uses those things to draw us near to him. So then in that great day, we are ready to stand before him. Let us pray. Father, again, we just thank you for the things that you've taught us, Lord. And Father, we just ask that, that you teach us to apply these things to our lives, Lord. And Father, when we're in the midst of trials, that you would help us and, and help us see that you're right there with us. And help us see that you love us and you know that we're going through these trials and you want to be there with us. And, and Father, we just ask that you provide a comforting hand or an encouraging word from the members of the body of Christ. And Father, that we might even be one of those that you use to encourage someone or to love someone or to help someone who might be in need or to meet someone who is struggling in a way that even if we don't understand it, Lord, we can still be there for them because we know you know. And Father, we just ask again that you help us throughout this week and, 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 and in our journey in life and to draw closer to you. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's that time now.